0: So let's turn to Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, and we will start our reading a little bit earlier toward the end of chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2. This is God's holy word. May he bless it. Paul writes, beginning in verse 13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. As happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the uh, the closing verses of chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, and we saw there Paul uh, emphasizing Uh, not only God's sovereignty and election, but also emphasizing, beginning to emphasize, then, human responsibility as well. I've been teaching about election, teaching about God's choosing to save certain individual sinners. That is the decisive factor uh, in any soul's salvation. God's choice is what determines Who will be saved and who will not? You and I choose God, but only because he first chose us. And if you're saved, it is ultimately for that reason, because God has chosen you unto salvation. In the course of time, he has regenerated you uh, and brought it to pass. But Paul follows up those statements about election wonderful, wonderful statements of this wonderful truth of election uh, by telling us that we're saved uh, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God for all who are chosen. Uh, those uh, souls will be set apart by the power of the Holy Spirit, set apart from the world set apart to the Lord and uh, then the Lord engaging in an ongoing lifelong process of sanctifying the believer. All who are chosen are also uh, in the course of time justified through faith in Christ and those who are justified are also sanctified. Paul follows up Uh, This emphasis on God's working, God's uh, work of salvation, by then giving a command. And he begins to stress personal responsibility in this way. He commands God's people to stand firm and hold fast to Christ. We are commanded to do that. We are commanded to believe the gospel and to Stand firm, holding on to the gospel, holding on to Christ by faith. Keep believing. Keep trusting in the Savior. And keep seeking also to obey. Trust and obey. These are our responsibilities uh, as God's people. And Paul concludes by uh, that little section by telling us that we are dependent on God uh, for all these things. We're dependent on Him Uh, to comfort our hearts and to establish them in every good word and work. He's emphasizing the need for us to uh, live uh, as people who do good, people who obey the Lord, people who seek to um, have a a life of good works. And so there's a strong emphasis in those closing verses of chapter 2, on both God's sovereign election and our human responsibility as believers. It's not one or the other. It's both together. God's sovereignty and human responsibility go hand in hand in perfect harmony in the life of a believer. Of course, it's all owed to God's sovereignty in election, which is the foundation uh, of all our salvation. Tonight, though, we see more emphasis here on human responsibility in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. And the first thing we see here is God, uh, through the apostle, calling his people to pray and to pray for the success of his mission in the world. He calls us to pray for the salvation of what, of course, is God's elect, his chosen people. Prayer, the prayers of the saints, are a very important, integral part of how God brings that salvation of his chosen people about. Many who hate this doctrine of election claim that it leads people to um, laziness, to slothfulness, to um, prayerlessness, uh, and, and to not caring about evangelism. But you really don't see any, any proof of that when you just read the writings of the Scriptures, and, and in particular the writings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's, there's nothing like that, no sense at all that... Uh, You know, Paul was led to become uh, lazy uh, or uh, uh, just indolent because uh, he believed in election. I think it was quite the opposite. Paul was a very uh, hardcore Calvinist, long before Calvin. And he believed also in the absolute need for prayer in order to see the lost saved. In verse 1, he shows us that. He says, Finally, brothers, pray for us so that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. This is an urgent prayer request that the apostle makes here. He's saying, we need your prayers. We're out here trying to do this work of spreading the gospel, preaching the word of Christ, and we need your prayers in order for it to bear fruit. This is how we need to be thinking uh, as God's people. We must be praying for the success of the gospel. We must be praying for the advance uh, of God's kingdom. If you're a believer in Christ... If you have that relationship with God through Christ, you should hear this directive from the Lord and just see it as his calling to you. He's calling you to do this. This is a matter of obedience for us. We need to be praying for this. Our Father directs us to pray for his work in the world, for the success of the gospel, Yes, he's determined to save his chosen people, and they will be saved, and not one will be lost. But he has also appointed the means by which they will be saved. They're saved through the preaching of the gospel, made effective by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he talks about the word of the Lord and that it needs to speed ahead and be honored. He's talking about the gospel being preached and heard and believed because the Spirit of God is working to open hearts and minds to it. The preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, is the means that God uses to save sinners. And But Paul tells us our prayers are essential. Our prayers have a crucial role in the work of evangelism, in the work of worldwide missions, in the work of uh, uh, each of us as individuals testifying to the people around us of our faith and to our Savior. Our prayers, very important. Paul was... A giant among the apostles. He was a very effective gospel preacher, minister, evangelist, missionary, but it had nothing to do with his abilities, his skills, his techniques, anything like that. He admits here that his effectiveness is all from God, from God's working. You know, he may have been the most brilliant man in the world and possibly was one of the most brilliant uh, individuals in human history uh, in terms of his just uh, natural gifts and abilities and his intellect. But he's like, I can do nothing apart from God making the gospel go, opening people's hearts to it, enabling them to believe. That's why he just says, brothers, pray for us. We need to not underestimate the importance of our prayers for this. Paul's begging for prayer here. He knows it's necessary, and not just once in a while. Just ongoing prayer is what he's asking for, continuous prayer. It's not, hey, if you think of it, pray for us once in a while. No, it's an urgent prayer. Request for prayer. Pray and pray and pray. Keep praying for us. We need it so much. Nothing can be done without your prayers as God's people. And why? Why do we need to pray like this? Why do we need to take this seriously? Because we need God to truly perform a miracle. We need him to empower the preaching of the gospel, to make it work, to make it effective, to make it successful in the hearts of dead sinners. Paul uses this, this image of running a race. If you run a race, you have to start at one point and you finish at the finish line. And in the course of that race, you want to run well. You don't want to get tripped up uh, over your own feet and fall down. You don't want any obstacles getting in your way to to, uh, cause you to stumble or to slow you down or to hinder you from getting across the finish line. And that's how Paul pictures the gospel going forward. He wants to see the gospel of Jesus Christ Advance like that throughout the world. He wants to see it run. He wants to see it go forward and be successful. To speed ahead. And when Paul and Silas and Timothy were there, and they came to Thessalonica and they preached the gospel there, uh, the gospel had that effect. It was a dramatic, um, dramatic results from their preaching. Many were saved. These men just came and they preached the news. They preached the good news about Jesus Christ and what he'd done for sinners and God accepting them by his grace because of Christ's sacrifice. And that gospel ran its race, ran into the hearts of those people, and their hearts were open to it. Their eyes were open to the Savior. They believed. They received Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about uh, a, a powerful, uh, speedy advance of the gospel, uh, not only through the world, but into the hearts of men and women who need the Lord. Men and women who can't be saved any other way who can't be saved apart from the miracle of regeneration that God will only do through the preaching of Jesus Christ. We want to see that too. We want to see spiritually dead souls come to life as they believe the good news of God's grace in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's exactly what happened to these Thessalonians. They received the word. They received it with joy and with full conviction of the truth of it. And we want that success wherever the gospel goes, wherever it's preached. We need the obstacles to be taken away. We don't want to see uh, obstacles of the enemy getting in the way. We want the path to be made smooth. We need... Uh, the enemies of the gospel to be hindered. Those who would uh, cause it to be hindered, we want them to be set aside so that the gospel is free and it has its effect in the lives of men and women. And the enemy doesn't steal it away. And so we need to pray. That's what Paul's telling us. We need to pray for this success of the gospel. I need to ask you, do you pray this way? Please do. Please pray at least every Sunday or, Lord willing, every Saturday uh, for the gospel in your local church to go forth and run its race with power and with speed. You know, it's... Good to be praying for your own needs, your needs of your family, for the health of other people, uh, for healing of sick people. Those are good, necessary things to pray for. God encourages us to pray for those things. But what is the most urgent thing that this world needs? It is the gospel to change hearts. It is salvation. That's the only way people Change. It's the only way the world will be changed. And that requires God to be working in a a mighty spiritual way, in a supernatural way, to open hearts and to cause that gospel message, the seed of the gospel, to, to fall on good soil. They need the Spirit of God to be given to them. Each and every one of us does. And every sinner needs that. So please pray this way. Pray for uh, the pastor's preaching. Pray for all the teaching and ministry that goes on uh, in your church. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for yourself as you have opportunities to bear witness. And pray for the other saints who do the same. God will save his elect. But he's committed to doing it through means through the means of his word the word of christ and he does it in response to our prayers and so he calls you to pray pray continually pray fervently that his word the word of christ would speed ahead and be honored among men So we've seen the importance of uh, human responsibility here again with the emphasis on our need to be praying for this supernatural work of God. We have a responsibility to uh, believe the gospel and obey God's word and pray that others might do the same But then here in verses 3 to 5, Paul focuses back on God again and his faithfulness, God's faithfulness to establish us and to guard us against the evil one. The evil one, he's talking about Satan. Satan is a terrible, powerful enemy. And Paul was experiencing, Paul and the others were experiencing the opposition of the evil one uh, through the means of wicked men who were opposing the gospel, opposing him, opposing his work. They were facing uh, persecution. This church was facing persecution. Uh, But Paul knew that God was greater than uh, all uh, our enemies, we see that here first in the way he uses uh, this uh, reference for God. He speaks of God as the Lord. This speaks of God's lordship over all. He is the sovereign ruler over all his creation, including Satan and the demons. Satan is God's devil. God has him on a leash. And yet, he hates God. The demons hate God. They fight against him. They fight against his cause in the world and his people. But the good news is, we have a God who is the Lord. These supernatural Enemies are too much for us, but they cannot prevail because God, our God, is the Lord. He is the sovereign ruler of all things. And He always will be. In verse 3, Paul says, the Lord is faithful. He's faithful And Paul is emphasizing that the Lord will not fail to do certain things. And he mentions a couple things that the Lord will not fail to do for his people. First of all, the Lord will be faithful to establish you, he will strengthen your faith so that your faith will not fail so that it won't collapse under uh, the many pressures and troubles of this life. You're going to face many trials, temptations, fierce temptations, supernatural powers, attacks of this evil one, whether it's through men or just spiritual attacks of the enemy himself, trying to draw you away from Christ, trying to tempt you, To evil, whatever the case may be, we're going to face all kinds of uh, attacks like this and troubles in this life and trials and the ordinary trials and tribulations of life uh, on top of all that. But God will establish you so that your faith will not fail under these things. He will strengthen your faith and make it firm and enable you to stand. Secondly, Paul says, the Lord will be faithful to guard you, to guard you. Imagine what it would be like to have uh, a personal bodyguard. We, 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 uh, we don't have that kind of thing. In our, in our, not that we, Lord willing, we'll never need that, but we have the Lord as our guard who watches over us and he protects us. You're not on your own in this life. You're not on your own against these enemies, these spiritual enemies that are very real. We do need a guard against them. Whether they're uh, human enemies uh, who are uh, inspired by the evil one, or uh, just the evil one himself and the demons. We need our lives and our souls to be guarded, our hearts, our faith. We have the very best guardian of all in the Lord. Without him, uh, we could never stand against these enemies uh, for a moment. But with the Lord guarding us, Satan cannot Prevail. The Lord is with you and the Lord is faithful to guard you. He will strengthen you and he will guard you against the attacks of the evil one. Doesn't mean you won't endure them, but he'll be there to strengthen you and to guard you in the midst of them. So Paul trusts that God uh, is doing these things in the lives of his people. He will faithfully establish and guard his saints. And In verse 4, we see also Paul trusts that God will faithfully work in their lives to bring about greater obedience. Paul's confident that these, these Thessalonians were God's chosen people. He believed that. He believed it because they received the gospel the way they did. They believed in Christ. And then their lives showed the fruit of faith and repentance. He was fully confident that they knew the Lord and that they were were seeking to do the Lord's will in their lives, seeking to obey the Lord. But Paul doesn't say here, we have confidence in you, brothers, he knows better than that. He says, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. His confidence is in the Lord. And that's a good reminder for us of where our confidence needs to be. Our trust needs to be Uh, for our lives and for the lives of others, for the lives of our family members, for the lives of uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our confidence needs to be not in them, but in the Lord, for them. We need to be trusting in the Lord for our family members. We need to be trusting in the Lord for our children. Not trusting in them. It's easy to get your eyes on People, when they're doing well, doing good, you think, ah, everything's good. Until it isn't. Then you realize, whoa, misplaced trust. I need to be looking to the Lord for myself, my family, for the church, for all God's people. Paul had his eyes where they needed to be. I may have good confidence and, and feel very strongly that uh, you are all uh, believers, that you're sincerely trusting in Christ, repenting of your sins, but we can't put our trust in man. You know, your church leaders can't put your trust in you and in your uh, faith and in your walk. We trust in the Lord for you. He's the reason if you are trusting in Christ and if you're walking with him. And he's the only reason that you'll continue to do so. It's all about the Lord's faithfulness. Don't put any confidence in man. Don't put any confidence in your own faith or in your own faith. Works and your own commitment to the Lord. Trust in the Lord alone to do His work in your life, to establish you. Rely on His power, rely on His grace to make your heart and, and the hearts of others responsive to God's Word and obedient to His Word. And in verse 5, Paul points out that, God's, uh, that God provides uh, encouragement and motivation for us as well to walk in obedience. In verse 5, Paul says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We need to have our eyes on these two things that Paul speaks of here. The love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. We really owe everything to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. We might say these are the two things that bring about our salvation. The love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. The love of God is what Moved him, that he loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to save us from our sins. If we're not for his love, for the father's love, Christ would not have been sent. But he loves us with an unfailing love, and it's a truly an. Uh, unmerited, unconditional love. We didn't earn it. And You know, we can't lose it. It has its origin not in us and anything we do as the objects of His love. It's simply His love that has nothing to do with anything that we do. He simply lavishes His love on us. doesn't depend on our works. God's love is far beyond our comprehension. And yet it really is ours. It is ours and the Word of God tells us that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We need to make much of God's love. We need to be meditating on it, thinking on it, believing in it, enjoying the love of God for us, really taking it to heart, and letting it change our hearts. And meditate also on this second thing, the steadfastness of Christ. Christ was steadfast in his commitment to save us in his obedience to God's law, obeying it all for us and never failing at even one point. He was steadfast in enduring terrible, terrible suffering and scorn and hatred and rejection. He suffered to the point of death at the hands of sinful men And he suffered the eternal wrath of God above all. And he was steadfast and firm in his commitment to do that in order to carry out the Father's will and to save us, his people, whom the Father gave to him. He stayed the course in all those things. He ran that race. He endured the cross, despising the shame so that he could finish that work of salvation for you and for me and for all God's elect. We need to think on these things more and they will change us. May the Lord, just as Paul says here, may the Lord direct your heart to these great truths And by these things, may he create in you a greater love for God and a more steadfast faith and obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, do please direct our hearts to these things to yourself, to your character, to your love and your faithfulness. Lord, we praise you for uh, your love for us, and we pray that you would truly open our hearts to it and enable us to take it in. The reality that you have loved us from eternity past and set your uh, love upon us, choosing us, despite what we are, uh, before we had even existed, before we had done anything good or bad, you, you chose to save us all because you love us. And we can't fathom that, Lord. We can't imagine why you would love us because there's nothing in us that would, that would cause that. But Lord, it, it is the truth of your word, and we love it. We need to know it more and more. We need to believe it. Give us power to comprehend the, the greatness of your love. Again, we just, it just comes back to needing your power to open hearts. Even us as believers, we need you to do that work of power uh, to open our hearts, to comprehend your love for us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, Lord, and his love and steadfastness and Accomplishing our salvation. And keep us trusting in Him all our days and walking in your ways. Give us grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.